Chapter 2 of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Grace Buchanan. Women, Children, Love, and Marriage by Catherine Gascoigne Hartley. Section 2 of Women. The Women of Spain. Wherever I go in Spain, in the streets of the towns, in the churches, in the workrooms, I am impressed with the fine types of the women, their strength and quietness, the same quality which Valeria, the Spanish novelist, speaks of as a notable robustness. There is a fascination about Spanish women not easy to define. Not all of them are beautiful. And it is, of course, easy to find women of all degrees of ugliness, but the proportion of those who are strong and beautiful seems to me to be very large. There is greater variety of types in northern than in southern Spain. While there are many women who are dark with golden complexions and quite Arabian eyes, a proportion of fair women will be found with bright brown, auburn, and some even golden hair. One sees rosy complexions and blue eyes that remind one of England, though mixed gray eyes are more frequent. Many of the faces have finely modeled features, quite classic in outline. Certainly the most beautiful and distinguished faces are not found among the women of the so-called upper classes, but belong to the fish girls and market women of the towns and the peasants of the rural districts. And this presence of a really fine type among the workers of a race is a certain indication of an old civilization. Many of the women workers in northern Spain are singularly individual. They are usually tall and have very distinct features, especially the nose. It is a face in which every line has character, much strength, and also humor, rising quickly to the beautiful eyes, but slowly to the mouth, lengthening it into a smile. They all look like women whom no man could venture to insult. I do not know whether one must attribute it to their dress, the vivid colored handkerchiefs which set their faces, as it were, in an oriental frame. But these women have a serious, passionate look, which is completely fascinating. They are different from the women of southern Spain, who are smaller, more graceful, perhaps more piquant, but certainly less beautiful. Living in Spain, you come to understand that this land is really the connecting link between Europe and Africa. Both in their physical traits and in their character, the Spaniards show their relation to the North African type. Seldom indeed is a Spaniard entirely a European. And it is amongst the women that the resemblance stands out most clearly. There are women with dark, long African faces. You will see them among the flamencos of Seville or in the gypsy quarter of the Camino del Sacramento at Granada. Women with slow, sinuous movements, which you notice best when you see them dance. And wonderful eyes that flash a slow fire. Quite unforgettable in their strange beauty. 
In dress, you still find the oriental love of bright and violent colors, the elegant manila shawls, and the mantillas which give such special distinction to the women of southern Spain are modifications of the eastern veil. The elaborately dressed hair, built up with combs with one rose or carnation, giving a note of color, has also a very ancient origin. Racial types may nearly always be best studied in the women of a nation, and this is certainly so in a very old civilization like Spain, where many forces have combined to waste the men of the race. Representing as they do, both on the physical and psychic side, a conservative tendency, and with a lower variational aptitude than men, women preserve more markedly primitive racial elements of character. This may possibly explain why the women of Spain, on the whole, are finer than the men. How well I recall these women as I have seen them often, gathered for the morning markets in the towns, chaffering, laughing, and carrying on their work in the conversational Spanish manner, Here is commercial activity united with a picturesque beauty, unspoilt by the usual ugliness of business. Ugliness is not a necessary growth of progress. There is terrible poverty in Spain. The peasants in the country and the laborers in the town suffer much injustice in too heavy rents and an unfair burden of taxation. But as I have come to know them, I have realized that the sum of their poverty is, after all, so much less than the sum of their knowledge of the art of living. Not their poverty, but their splendid capacity for eluding its misery is what is so remarkable. These workers have color not only in their dresses, but in their souls. I see again a charming scene that I chanced upon one day in the beautiful town of Vigo, which is situated in Galicia, in the extreme northwest, and is one of the seaports by which the stranger enters Spain. The day was saddened with heavy rain. A company of girls, who had just finished their work of packing the fish for market, had gathered in two empty railway vans and were dancing together in the most delightful way, watched and applauded by a group of youths. It was a dance of quick movement and of great variety. It was not a dance of the feet only. Every part of the girls' bodies played its part in the performance. The swaying figures, the beckoning hands, the glittering smiles that came and went in their dark eyes— all contributed to the dance, which, like all Spanish dances, was a love drama of intense passion, but always decorous, always beautiful. And the watching youths took their part by a rhythmic clapping of hands and stamping of feet. There was something infectious in this spontaneous gaiety. These girls, I felt, understand happiness. And as I watched them, The world seemed once more a place in which workers could have their share of the joy of living. 
nor does this overflowing and joyous vigor belong to youth alone. I have seen mothers, stout and matronly, at play in the national games, throwing large, heavy balls of wood along the grass with a healthy pleasure and muscular movement. Women no longer young may as often be seen dancing as the girls. Well, I remember one woman. She was quite old, and her skin was a yellowed mass of wrinkles. But the wrinkles on her face were but the work of time and the hardness of living and went no deeper than the skin. They had not touched her soul. She was a little bowed, yet she held herself finely, as indeed do all Spanish women. I shall never forget her perfect absence of self-consciousness, her abandonment as she quivered all over with the excitement of the dance, and she used her castanets with the innocent coquetry of a young girl. There is something that may well give thought in this wholesome energy, which is so abundant as to find its expression in play. If I have emphasized the physical qualities of the women workers of Spain, it is because I regard these qualities as being the outward expression of intelligence and will. It is true that Spanish women are not educated as we count education. Many of them cannot read or write. But in no other land can women be found with a finer understanding of all that is essential in womanhood. From the earliest notices we have of Spanish women, we find them possessed of a definite character of remarkable strength. Courage and strength have throughout the centuries been common qualities among Spanish women. The history of the Mujeres Varoniles of this land would fill a volume. Women who would take the field and fight with a sagacity and ferocity equal to and often surpassing that of men. We may still associate the position of women with some of the old traditions. Women are held in honor. Many primitive customs survive, in particular among the Basques, and one of the most interesting is that by which, in some districts, a daughter takes precedence over the sons in inheritance of land and family property. As far back as the 4th century, Spanish women insisted on retaining their own names after marriage, for we find the Synod of Elvira trying to limit this freedom. The practice is still common for sons to use the name of the mother, coupled with that of the father, and even in some cases alone, showing the absence of preference for paternal descent. Velasquez, for instance, is known to the world only by the name of his mother. His father's name was De Silva. It is significant that in no country does less stigma fall on a child born out of wedlock. And the unmarried mother meets a recognition that is rarely accorded to her elsewhere. I questioned a cultured Spaniard on the position of the prostitute, his answer is worth recording. Our women give themselves for love much more often than for money. 
The statement may have some extravagance, but I believe it corresponds to a real fact in the position of women, which persists from a time when their liberty was greater than it is today. The introduction of modern institutions, and especially the empty form of chivalry, has lowered the position of women. Emilia Pardo Bazan, the great woman novelist of Spain, has said, All the rights belong to men, and the women have nothing but duties. Yet there can be no question that some features of mother right have left their imprint on the domestic life of Spain, and that women have in certain directions preserved a freedom and privilege which in England have never been established, and only of late claimed. The industrial side of primitive culture has always belonged to women, and in many provinces in Spain, the old custom is in active practice, owing to a shortage of men through military service and widespread emigration. The farms are worked by women. The ox carts driven by women. The seed is sown and reaped by women. Indeed, all the work is done by women. And the point to notice here is that the women have benefited by this enforced engaging in activities, which in most countries have been absorbed by men. The fine physical qualities of these workers is evident. I have taken pains to gain all possible information on this question. Statistics are not available because in Spain they have not been kept from this point of view. It is, however, the opinion of many eminent doctors who were questioned by a Spanish friend for me on this subject that this labor does not damage the health or beauty of the women, but the contrary, nor does it prejudice the life and health of their children. I have seen many charming scenes of labor, and among my memories, a visit I paid to a sardine factory in the town of Vigo stands out clearly. The workrooms open directly onto the bay. Here the boats come. The fish are landed and the silver heaps are washed. The airy rooms were scarcely redolent even of fish, and the most scrupulous cleanliness was evident. They were filled with girls, women, men, and boys. I learnt that both the women and men are well paid and that there is no separation between the tasks allotted to the two sexes. Women and men labor together side by side, capacity alone deciding the kind of work done. The day's work is the eight hours established in Vigo by arrangement between the masters and the workers. But when a large catch of sardines comes in, it must be dealt with at once, and the workers are then paid overtime on a higher scale than their weekly wages. I saw many ingenious and labor-saving machines. One, which was worked by a boy, made the keys for opening the tins at the rate of 140 a minute. I learnt that most of the machinery is supplied by Germany. I was interested to hear that the waste pieces of tin, left from cutting the boxes, were shipped to that country to be used for making toys. It was not, however, in these things that I found my chief interest. What I chiefly remember was the fine appearance of the women. I was impressed with their smiling and contented faces. Many of them are mothers, 
and there is an admirable creche in connection with the sardine factory, where the children are cared for. A more industrious and charming scene of labor it would be impossible to find. I lost no opportunity of inquiry into local industrial conditions. The workers in this town are in a very favorable position, and in many respects, Figo has attained to a degree of humane development under industrial life which other countries are toiling to achieve. As workers, the women are most conscientious and intelligent, apt to learn, and ready to adopt improvements. From my personal observations, I can bear witness that their cottages, though very poor, are usually clean and their children are universally well cared for. Nowhere are children happier or more loved than in Spain. The women are full of energy and vigor, even to an advanced age. They are certainly healthy. I once witnessed an interesting episode during a motor ride in the country districts of the north. A robust and comely Spanish woman was riding a ancas, pillion fashion, with a young caballero, probably her son. The passing of our motor frightened the steed, with the result that both riders were unhorsed. Neither was hurt, but it was the woman who pursued the runaway horse. She caught it without assistance and with surpassing skill. What happened to the man, I cannot say. When I saw him, he was standing in the road brushing the dust from his clothes. I presume the woman returned with the horse to fetch him. Women were the world's primitive carriers. In Spain, I have seen women bearing immense burdens, unloading boats, acting as porters and as firemen, and removing household furniture. I saw one woman with a chest of drawers, easily poised upon her head. Another woman bore a coffin while another, who was old, carried a small bedstead. A beautiful woman porter in one village carried our heavy luggage, running with it on bare feet without sign of effort. She was the mother of four children, and her husband was at the late Cuban War. She was as upright as a young pine, with the shapeliness that comes from perfect bodily equipoise. I do not wish to judge from trivial incidents, but I have found in these Spanish women a strength and beauty that has become rare among women today. When a fire breaks out in a small town or village, it is the women water carriers who act as firemen. They fetch the water from fountains and pour it upon the flames. Just recently, I have read of three of these women who lost their lives in an attempt to rescue a crippled girl from a burning house. I was never tired of looking at the Spanish water carriers. The fountains that are in every town are the most delightful watching places. The grace with which the women walk on the uneven roads and their perfect skill in balancing their beautiful harris of stone or copper call forth my unceasing admiration. One result of this universal burden carrying on the head is the perfect and dignified character 
of the women's manner of walking. These women walk like priestesses who are bearing sacred vessels. They move erectly but without stiffness, with a secure and even stride planting the foot and heel together, light and firmly. There is something of the grace of an animal in their movements, the alertness, the perfect balance, the suggestion of hidden strength. I recall a conversation I had once with an Englishman of the not uncommon, strongly patriotic and censorious type. We were walking on the quay at La Coruna. He pointed to a group of women bearers who were at work unloading a vessel and said in his indiscriminate British gallantry, I can't bear to see women doing work that ought to be done by men. Look at the women was the answer I made him. It is interesting to contrast the robust heroines of Spanish writers with the feminine feebleness and inanity which so often are the ideal of English novelists. In Spanish literature, vigor and virility are qualities apart from sex and are bestowed on women equally with men. Again and again, the thoughtful reader will be struck with this in the works of the Spanish writers. It is a point of such interest that one would like to linger upon it. I may mention as one instance Cervantes' heroines, the illustre Frigona, beautiful with cheeks of rose and jessamine and as hard as marble, and Sancho's daughter, who was tall as a lance, as fresh as an April morning, and as strong as a porter. Of Tirso de Molina, the great Spanish dramatist, it has been said that he gives all vigor to his women and all weakness to his men. Nor has this robust ideal of womanhood changed. We meet the same qualities among the women depicted by the Spanish writers today. Blasco Imenez, in his Flor de Mayo, describes a young woman who could meet a stolen embrace with a superb kick which more than once had felled to the ground a big youth as strong and firm as the mast of his boat. Among the heroines of Juan Valera, we find Juanita who, as a girl, could throw stones with such precision she could kill sparrows and leap on the back of the wildest colt or mule, while Dona Luz could dance with a sylph, ride like an Amazon, and in her walk resembled the divine huntress of Delos. It may, of course, be argued that these are chosen types that cannot fairly be said to represent Spanish women. Yet the Spanish writers are realists in a much truer sense than is understood amongst English novelists. And it must be admitted that the persistence of the same qualities in so many heroines proves a fundamental veracity in the type presented. And from my own experience, I can testify that the women I have known in their vigor and independence show the qualities of these portrait women. 
the fact can scarcely be passed over that these heroines almost all belong to the country districts, sometimes even to the poorest people. And if, as in the case of Dona Luz, they spring from a different class, they are as a rule illegitimate, combining aristocratic distinction with plebeian vigor. This corresponds with my own observations. I have found the women workers more robust and more intelligent than the women of the middle and upper classes. Nor is the explanation far to seek. The preparation that these women receive for life is far inferior to that of the workers, who cooperate with men and whose lives are as actively productive and work as capably performed. The women of the richer classes lead lives of marked inferiority. Without opportunity for work and compelled to an existence of restricted activity, it is impossible to develop their physical and intellectual qualities. Most of these ladies, except when quite young, are stout. They are less intelligent than the peasants, and few of them have ever appealed to me as being beautiful. I hasten to add, however, that they all have the fascination that belongs to Spanish women, a charm not easy to define. I have spoken of this quality before. Let me try to make it clearer now. I believe it is that all these senoras and senoritas understand that they are women, and instead of this bringing them unhappiness and causing, as it so often does, the indefinite unquietness that characterizes so many English and American women, you feel that they are glad that this is so. This is why they are so attractive. Spanish women are in harmony with themselves, which gives them something of that exquisite appeal which belongs to all natural things. This is the reason, too, why the older women are so good-humored, smiling, and gay. They have none of them missed their womanhood. Here is the real reason of the admiration which these women so universally arouse. As women, they are so perfect. This is a question that reaches very deeply. It is a quality so easy to see, so difficult to explain. What I wish to make clear is that the modern English ideal for women leaves a wide margin open to desire. The innermost forces of life too often are left unsatisfied, while the women of Spain, with all their restrictions, know what it is that, after all, really brings happiness for women. Which is the wiser knowledge? The restrictions for women will pass with the expansion of modern life, and then the strong personality of Spanish women, their energy and good sense, will inevitably find expression when opportunity is given to them. But never can they fall, in pursuit of outside things, into the error of forgetfulness of their womanhood. There does not appear to be any vagueness in the souls of these women. Our women have so often too much. In the composed presence of the Spanish ladies, I have felt that it is little profit to a woman if, in gaining the world, she should lose herself. End of chapter 2
Recording by Grace Buchanan of WeaverGrace.com.